The sound of hoofs stopped. As Frodo watched, he saw something dark pass across the lighter space between two trees and then halt. It looked like the black shade of a horse, led by a smaller black shadow. The black shadow stood close to the point where they had left the path, and it swayed from side to side. Frodo thought he heard the sound of snuffling. The shadow bent to the ground and began to crawl towards him. Welcome to Frodo Lives, a podcast where we read and discuss the Lord of the Rings one chapter at a time. I'm your podbearer, John. And I'm his sidekick, Jimmy. And today we are talking about the Fellowship of the Ring, book one, chapter three, three is company. How you doing, John? I'm doing great, James. Um, we're getting on the road with this one. Uh, yeah, this one is the beginning of the walking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, is it ever. To all those people who ever just say Lord of the Rings is just walking, this is the chapter you don't want to start with, all right? But yeah, it's yeah. but but I will say it's a very fun walk. It mm-hmm. it takes some twists. It definitely starts to set the scene like what's about to happen ahead of us. I'm I'm excited, John. I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um I was telling James before we started recording, I feel like I have read this chapter in bits and pieces about four times this week because it's one of these chapters where stuff happens sort of in the midst of nothing happening and um i've i did a mix of like reading the text and also listening to an audio one while like kind of doing work and stuff to try to kind of synthesize it and i would like zone out and then zone back in and like stuff would be happening it was crazy so um i think i have a complete picture of this chapter why don't we talk about it let's talk about john all right, this is Frodo Lives, and we are talking about The Fellowship of the Ring, Chapter 3, Three is Company. Come on, knock on our door, <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Oh, man. This hobbit's ring is his, and his, just his, it's Frodo's ring. <laughs> uh, that's staying in. You're welcome. It is. That is actually pretty funny. Um, What's equally funny is that it's the end of April and Gandalf is still hanging around being like, hey, Frodo, I mean, you should you should probably leave at some point. It might be like you should leave. It might be a good idea. You should leave right now. (laughs) Frodo, get off your butt, move those hobbit feet and get out of here. Like, but he doesn't want to leave. Like, that's the whole point. Like, yeah. We so do. it's been several weeks, at least, and, and Frodo has been dragging his feet about the very important mission that was established in the last episode. And I will say, as a chronic procrastinator, mm-hmm. I feel this in my soul. I feel this all the way down to my furry hobbit toes. 
uh, even with the fate of the entire known world and definitely everyone he knows and loves on the line, it's hard sometimes to motivate yourself. And it's also when it's something that you know you don't want to do mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, integ- like, he doesn't want to let Middle Earth and all of the world down, right? So, like, clearly he does. he's got that pressure going on. He's afraid of that aspect of it but also because he doesn't want to go because he doesn't want the ring doesn't want him to go right the ring this is the one time the ring is telling him hey why don't you just stay put right here just for the next couple of weeks you know just why don't you just stay put right in this spot nothing's gonna happen you're safe in the shire frodo you're super duper safe yeah that is an interesting angle um and frodo kind of following in in bilbo's footsteps i feel like like he has a flair for things that are narratively satisfying so he wants to postpone his departure until the september 22nd until his 50th birthday because he feels like it's symbolically significant that bilbo left and found this ring on his 50th birthday, and he's going to leave to destroy this ring. Or, well, that's not the plan yet. He's going to leave to take the ring elsewhere. Right. He And he doesn't, at the beginning of this chapter, have exactly a set course of action, right? Like he Which is know- bananas to me. Like, how has Gandalf not, like, he's been with him for months. How have they not plotted out exactly what's going to happen? Gandalf's basically like, well... If you want my advice, take the ring to Rivendell. I'm like, if he wants your advice, this is literally your entire job. But but that's the thing. His job is only to give advice. He is not allowed to directly. I mean, he does. He fights a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Either the goblins in The Hobbit or things coming up, friends. Like, he gets directly involved, but he can't make the decisions. He has to live the decisions of Middle-earth up to the people of middle earth so bilbo bilbo and frodo had the ring he couldn't just straight up take it from bilbo or else who knows what would have happened right yeah and and the same deal with frodo he can't just force frodo to make the right decision here he's got to guide him he's got to needle and prod him and be like hey 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 get the heck out of here and at the same time, he wants to get out of there, too. There's work to be done, but he can't right. leave this freaking hobbit just sitting here with the one ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the basically the plan that they concoct, right? So part of the issue is Frodo's like, if I just leave, then everyone's going to talk about how I just left. Like, look at what ha- Bilbo became literally a folk legend in a year after his disappearance. Mad Baggins, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Gone with a bang and appears with a flash with bags of gold on either side. I love Mad Baggins. <laughs> so so obviously it's an issue, right? Because the whole thing is they want to remove Frodo without arais- arousing suspicion. So they're like, so he starts spreading this rumor around that he's running out of money, mm-hmm. right? Which some people buy and other people don't for obvious reasons. Right. And, and he sends Mary to go find him a house in Buckland. And he's going to go basically retire from what feels like a life of retirement like what what did the <laughs> hobbit what does he do for a living he just feels like part of the landed gentry i i bet it's like look he got he's spreading the wealth around 
Yeah. Like he's paying for Farmer Gamgee to take care of his land. So he's in, mm-hmm. he's employing somebody, right? And he, his events or his social network, he's he's just look. I'm not going to call Frodo a trust fund jerk, but <laughs> no, that's a different character in this chapter that I intend to talk about quite a bit, but we'll go Oh on. yeah, fair <laughs> fair enough. But he but he's definitely just someone of privilege. Yeah. You know, as yeah. as Tolkien was in some respects, you know, and well, especially yeah. when, we, when we get to the war, you know, like that was something that hit me a little bit more in this chapter. The, while the Frodo is I don't know. Well, Pause there. We'll move on because there's yeah, a lot to keep going. Yeah, I do get the impression that the, there's just there is a pretty rigid class structure in in the Shire where not necessarily like spoken or acknowledged, but there definitely seems to be an economic kind of difference between your Gamgees and your Baggins or Tooks, right? And not and not much from what we can gather of like like room for like improving your stature, right? Like yeah. it's very much like you're just stuck in your class. As many systems like that are. Yeah, like, yeah, very, very reflective of the north of England, which is definitely what the hobbits are based on. Um, right. So all that aside, Frodo's plan is, you know, he's going to make it seem like he lived this lavish lifestyle. He Bruce Wayne himself into bankruptcy. And now he's going to, which is like, honestly, Frodo is kind of Batman in this situation, right? Like Frodo Baggins is Batman. For, like think about it. he's got to, he's got to feign this lavish lifestyle that keeps people from suspecting the fact that he is bearing this great burden to protect his fellow man and sacrificing himself like okay okay thematically just, similar all right just for a second visualize this though elijah wood is batman okay but ian mckellen is alfred oh yeah that's pretty Ian, good. Ian McKellen would be a very good Alfred. Ian McKellen would be. He's got. Okay, this is not a Batman podcast, but real quick. He's got the best attributes of everybody so far. I haven't seen Andy play it, who has yeah. played Batman. He's got the frailness, just being real, of the first Batman from the original 89. Alfred. Movie. Look. Yeah. What? Not Batman, Alfred. Oh, Ian McKellen's Batman, too, but why not? Oh, uh, look, no. <laughs> But like the Batman from the eight from the Alfred from the eighty nine movies, right? Sure. He's a ve- he's old now. Like he's yeah. he's very old, which Alfred should be. But he's got still that same like Michael Caine like 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 drive in that situation. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he's he's very much a player of the narrative. But I also think he would have a little bit of that sass that Jeremy yeah. Irons brought to the role, which was mm-hmm. one of his best things. So yeah, Ian yeah. McKellen for Alfred, though there Andy Circus. Yeah, don't count him out. Um. So eventually we'll actually talk about what happens here. Um, and then he, well, it is painful, right? Because he sells the house to the Sackville Bagginses. And after waiting 100 years, Lobelia Sackville Baggins gets to walk through that door and say she owns the place. Her husband's oh. dead. Her son sucks. Everything's bad. But <laughs> Lobelia wins in the end. The SBs <laughs> have got it. Like they, like that's, let's just, what a story the Saxville Baggins have had. Like they get it. They they are at their zenith. They have reached the top of the hill. And yeah. it is just like They had to scrape and crawl and Lady Macbeth their way to the top. Not even they fell ass backwards into it. Yeah. Like they did. Well the best part been- is like she married into the family. 
Right? Like, she must have looked yeah. at Otho and been like, all right, he's my ticket to the top. <laughs> he's connected to those Baggins. No, you're right. Like, he is... She marries into the the family. She thinks she's going to climb that ladder, because that's it. That's... It's a long ladder, man. But she... Look, and Frodo she... was a heck of a rung. <laughs> and I wonder if she never even thought about it. I, I have to go back and reread The Hob. It's been a minute since I've gotten those Saxville's info, but, like, we're... Were they were they always scheming to get Bag End even before he cracked and went on his adventure? Like, oh, they like, have to have been. I mean, they must have been scheming. So then, like, they finally get their opportunity, and then yeah. right as they're getting it, the day of, yeah. it gets taken away from. That would drive some people mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I my favorite part is so in the midst of all of this, Gandalf he gets some news that he's very concerned about. Um, to the south and he's got to take off right so he's like just just you know stick with the plan I'll, I'll try to make it back in time for the party you'll need me on the road but i got some something i'm worried about and i'm i i forget because it has been a minute since i've read these books if we ever find out what it was that gandalf was concerned about that's what i was going to ask because i don't remember exactly what he was concerned about i mean as we'll go on, as we talk about the events of, we've mentioned the War of the Ring that is coming. The, the, the war is already kind has already begun, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. John. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. we are already a few battles and skirmishes into this war on several fronts. Right? Yeah. I so, mean, Gon- Gondor is is taking it pretty hard at this point, um, and we know that the the men in the south and the east have started mobilizing, right. uh, and we also know, like, we will find out later on that there's stuff going on in Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. That that Thranduil and the Wood Elves are kind of dealing with some stuff. So there have been these little kind of ventures out of Mordor that Sauron's taking to kind of feel out the territory before right. he makes his big move. Testing the uh, the security, if you will, from a yeah. Jurassic Park. The yeah. Raptors are going up against that security. They're seeing, okay, that's that level, but yeah, what what about later on? And they, mm-hmm. they keep testing mm-hmm. out, and sooner or later we're gonna have us a, a Raptor chase. <laughs> We will discover, however, that all of that is a cover for something else. Yes. So, so it's possible that it's that's this kind of trouble brewing that has Gandalf concerned, but I also wonder if it has to do with what is going to happen later on in this chapter, right? I, if 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 it's news of you know who's out and about. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, we don't mean to be uh, kind of circuitous with this, but we also want to kind of process it as it comes up live in the text so that if you're reading this for the first time, we're not just giving you all the spoilers right away. Um, And a lot of this is background texture, but we also want to keep some things a surprise. Look, there's somebody out there that is curious what the heck's going on right now with Gandalf. And while we kind of know the few, we we know what happens. We know the story, right? Yeah. But like. Broad strokes, at least. But we're, we're trying to go through this in like in kind of like a real time debit deal. And like, that's a question that would enter my mind, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What could possibly be pulling him away? That's so important from the um, one ring. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So presumably he plans to be back. He takes off and Frodo doesn't see him again. Right. The weeks of September kind of roll on. Gandalf doesn't show up. And finally, he gets to his birthday. He throws a little party that's just for him and Mary and, and Pippin and fatty bulger fatty bulger no i will say though um before he heads out they do cement that the plan is to go to rivendell right yeah so gandalf basically gives him advice that you know go to rivendell and frodo's like that works for me right (laughs) so so gandalf doesn't have a plan in place as like one would expect he might 
But Frodo's like, yeah, that, heading towards Rivendell seems like a pretty straight shot. It's a good idea. I've always wanted to go there anyway, so this is a great excuse. Obviously, Sam's excited. And with that, you have definitely a connection to people who have already read The Hobbit of yeah. Bilbo's journey. Yeah. In The Hobbit, Bilbo goes through, they go through Bree, they have their adventure with the trolls, they have they have a little bit here and there, but they get to Rivendell, the last homely house, and when, uh, that is a key moment of the story, right? Yeah. The arrival of Rivendell is a huge moment in the book. There's the poems that are being sung. So, like, for anybody who grew up with The Hobbit and is reading The Lord of the Rings, this is like, oh, we're going back! Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's the member berries of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, Remember Rivendell? Remember Rivendell? We're going back! <laughs> My gosh. So, um, uh, they drink up the rest of the, (laughs) jeez. So they drink up the rest of Bilbo's wine cellar because Frodo's like, I ain't, that's, Sackville Baggins don't get that. That's mine. So they drink up the rest of that for the party. And then the next morning, Lobelia shows up to kind of inspect the place and they give her the key. They tell her that the Gamgees have one of the key and then she acts like a big classes b-hole about yeah i think it. that's about right like she's like they're gonna steal stuff in the middle of the night it's like dude so i think i feel like the gaffer's retired right like he's not t- he doesn't it doesn't strike me that he's keeping the grounds anymore it seems like he's pretty old at this point but no, previous- man does he get a raw deal in this situation oh he is depressed dude like he thought look at his life before this all goes down he's got a son you know, living with him, doing his job, but he's making a living. Yeah. He's doing well in life. He's he's working. He's kind of still working for Frodo in some respects, doing a little bit of the gardening. I think that's what they said in the last chapter. Like yeah. he was doing some of the maybe like, hey, you don't know quite how to do this over here, Sam. Let me get you know the grandpa <laughs> move. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna let me just get in here and do this one little thing real quick. And like, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I, I could have done that, but you do that. You know, and which is great. And then. <laughs> Frodo ups and sells the damn thing to the Saxville Baggins. Yeah. And takes Sam with him. And takes his son. Yeah. yeah. Like oh. And and, and basically tells Sam, like, lie to your dad, which I get like it's for a good cause and everything, but like the idea is that Sam's gonna go be the groundskeeper right. at Frodo's new place. Right? Yeah. And and Gaffer's like, No, oh, that seems like a pretty good deal for you, Sam, but I get to have the Sackville Baggins as as a neighbor, which uh <laughs> Kind you want to trade, Sam? I, yeah. I, I, I'll leave. I got I'll a leave. few years left in my in my old furry feet. I, I, I can make the walk all the way over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, poor guy. Mary and and Fatty take the carriage with all the Frodo stuff, um, and they're going to go on ahead and get the house set up. And Frodo decides, you know, big brain move that he's going to walk all the way to Buckland, which is like a three day hike because he wants to kind of say his goodbyes to all these places in the Shire and whatnot, which sounds like such a great idea at first and ends up not being so. Well, again, everything is kind of he's a he's a romantic, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is much like Bilbo. Yeah, right. And but also like going back to that's all folks Uh, procrastinating like you find a reason for your procrastination. Yeah. And a romantic who procrastinates is the worst because that means everything has to be around a symbol or or an anniversary like Frodo here. So like it was just. 
it was the right guy in the wrong place at the wrong yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or actually, um, I guess as we go on here, everything was just the right time. Yeah, I was going to say because as he's leaving Bag End, um, and he's and he's heading towards like one of the the cellar doors around the side to like get Sam, who's having a he's having one for the road down in the <laughs> down in the beer cellar. Um, I, I forgot what he was doing. I was like, is he trying to go talk to somebody or something like that? Because yeah. well, there's a character coming up in the future that's like I could see him trying to talk to real quick before. For this adventure right but but you know he just went to drown in sorrows saying on that issue. saying a uh, last goodbye to those bag end taps <laughs> this is but that's this is his childhood home yeah. this is where mm-hmm. his fandom was born this is where his love of the elves is born this is where bilbo taught him his letters this is his school his house yeah. everything about this hobbit is in bag end and with his father's uh house down the hill a little bit and it's gone. And I, I get it. You got to have one for the road in that situation. Yeah. Um, so, and while Frodo's talking to him, he hears the gaffer talking to someone, right? Who's inquiring about Baggins. And the guy, and Gaffer, Gaffer's basically like, no, he's not around here. He's moving to Buckland where, you know, folks are weird over there. So I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with them. So bye. And Frodo almost goes back to check, but kind of like thinks better of it because he's just annoyed that like everybody's being such a busybody and nosy. Mm-hmm. And it's like the one thing he's not going to miss about the Hobbits is everyone being up in his business, especially in the last few weeks as the rumors have been going like he just mm-hmm. it's it's been mm-hmm. getting kind of like Bilbo's party around the first chapter. So it's a familiar thing. And we know Hobbits are capable of it so that's why we're like we know what's uh frodo's going through here again yeah. you know yeah um and uh you know sam rolls up with a hat justice for sam's hat which we almost never see i think he has a hat in the rankin bass adaptation i think so and what type of hat is it john it's well it's like a sack that he's wearing on his head that's, that's how he right. describes it yeah that that, that was his father that was his grandfather's sack hat (laughs) this sack hat has been passed down from gamji to gamji (laughs) don't you lose gamji's actually ancient halfling for sack head don't you lose that sack hat for samwise gamji don't you lose it (laughs) is is gaffer from nantucket (laughs) (laughs) all gaffers are from nantucket (laughs) good grief um so they t- they take off on this walk um they walk uh basically through the day like out of the shire and we get some like just the one the thing i will say about talking right so there's a lot of just walking through places he's very good however at describing like in exacting detail uh the geography of where they're walking like how they go up this hill and then it winds back around and comes down and there's a grove of trees on this side but then the way he actually describes like the landscape and the trees is really beautiful like it's poetry it's like he paints a beautiful poem picture of the situation in your head and there's a line in particular coming up that's so vivid i had to just write it down i think i know the moment you're talking about and yes yes, yeah like it's it's great. Like, I get the people sometimes just like, get to the point. I want the adventure to be the mm-hmm. adventure. But I got to tell you, the work and effort mm-hmm. and sk- and skill put into mm-hmm. this detail is what separates this from other works of fantasy. Well, I think part of what this is setting up to is that the, the world in which the story takes place, and in particular, the Shire, which I think in Middle Earth, at least, is kind of the most beautiful and idyllic part of the world. Right. Is is it is an open and unfettered and green and growing and and somewhat wild world. 
that's largely untouched by like industry, right? Even the towns and cities we go to, right? Are oh, these yeah. little blips on the map of like this beautiful land where like like nature is this living and breathing kind of thing and i do think that it's important largely for what he's trying to say about the nature of war and industry and ambition and power later on in the text that we see what a world still untouched by those things looks like and that is this like journey through the shire that we get in these few chapters and it's as we'll get into some other events that happen on there is still danger in that world Mm-hmm. There is still danger, danger from the outside, danger from within in some respects, but also it also welcomes in magic and wonder and it allows this opportunity for the outside world to venture in and play a huge big part that mm-hmm. is like it's it, it's it's a perfect um uh, terrarium. Yeah. For yeah. the rest of Middle Earth to have its influence on and be a commentary of our world too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so they they kind of walk until like around midnight. And then so it's Frodo, Sam and Pippin are walking. Right. Yeah. And uh, at this point, <laughs> Pippin is a whiny douche and asks them to go to sleep because he's been walking all day. You know why they had Mary and Fatty go on the damn thing? Because if Pippin went. They would be stuck in the mud somewhere. Yeah, he'd be stopping f- at every tavern between every tavern the Shire stuff and would be Buckland, falling yeah. off the cart. Like, you don't send Pippin to do any damn job. You just yeah. don't. Pippin, yeah. if, if there's a wrong way to do something, Pippin will find it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's he's the he's the the plucky comic relief. TM TM TM. <laughs> He's the plucky character that you 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 feel sympathetic for him. You yeah. do, especially at certain moments as we'll go on. But at the same time, sweet Lord Pippin, act right this, in the situation. Yeah, this chapter does him no favors. So they stop and sleep. There's this really weird moment that I feel like is a thing from an early draft that just hung around where like a passing fox stops and thinks, hmm, how strange for there to be hobbits here. And I'm like, am I reading a Chronicles of Narnia book? Like what's happening? N- no, Did but C.S. You- Lewis ghost write this chapter? No, but you're reading a note or a moment from an earlier version of the book that Tolkien didn't want to take out. And I believe that there's a lot of that here in book one, I feel like. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the going to Rivendell type of arc of this book, like it's a very like that's something that you would have heard in The Hobbit or in other Mm -hmm. works by by Mm -hmm. um, Tolkien. So, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Right. Just like a weird little like aside to a a self-aware fox i mean that raises a bigger question i mean eagles from the hobbit we know are sentient and like Mm -hmm. have thoughts of those so i guess other animals presumably the thrush too that knocks yeah um, right there's like like a you know an implication that that bird may have some knowledge because doesn't that bird fly to dale or am i just is that just in the cartoon Oh uh, no, that bird flies to Dale. Yeah, I mean the and, like, birds delivers a message. Yeah, yeah, they, they that's um. I was rereading that today in my uh, copy of The Hobbit. Actually, I was looking through it a little bit, and yeah, there's actually a beautiful illustration in that book of the bird sending messages to and fro and keeping the dwarves on the Lonely Mountain informed of the whole shebangabang. Right, right. Well, anyhow, um, 
they they wake up the next day and uh instead of being a whiny douche pippin is a privileged douche because he like gives sam a hard time about them not having hot bath water while sam is still asleep mind you this one percenter trust fund piece of crap yeah pippin is the trust fund kid yeah 100 percent pippin equals trust fund hobbit yeah (laughs) um so uh there's this oh right, so this is where the line is so frodo looks out and he sees these trees touched with red and gold in the fog looking like they were floating rootless in a shadowy sea and i was like get out of here talking with this uh it's so beautiful it's pretty darn go- like it's you've you might not have experienced exactly that yeah. But you've experienced something well, like but, that. And everything about the like the similes that he uses and the, like, the way that he constructs these illustrations makes it so vivid. Like, I can see exactly what he's describing. Right. And I think that's the mark of just how 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 lyrical his language is. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I love most about this text every time I go back to it. It's- it's what's rewarding about it too if you if you if you listen if you really listen to what's going on you get those moments and you get to man i what i love about this chapter for some people could be a bit of a slog as we've kind of alluded to a little bit a lot mm-hmm. of walking but it's the one that when I go back and I listen to the earlier chapters of the Fellowship of the Ring, book one, it's this chapter in particular. I'm like, there is so much going on here just mm-hmm. in the background. And mm-hmm. again, what Tolkien's describing there is part of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, they're kind of walking. They're getting close to the edge of the Shire, the Brandywine River. Um, Frodo has a moment and it does some impromptu hobbit slam poetry um not the first not the not not the last time we'll get some random somebody's just gonna be spitting some bars up in here like yeah it seems to be like a hobbit habit um not not, yeah uh and at this point pippin is like a hungry douchebag and they have to stop and eat food because he's complaining about being hungry and then um, I'm only like kind of joking about this, by the way. Like no, the more he... times I read the chapter, the more I was like, "Wow, he is just like an anchor around <laughs> the leg of this chapter." Well, just... think about it. Starts you as a reader understanding that this guy sucks. Sam's the man, yeah. And Frodo is not nearly as bad as Pippin, even yeah. though he is a privileged individual. He's yeah. the example of what Frodo is not. So we yeah. can be on Frodo's side. Like, yeah. real quick, going way back before they even started walking. I just got to make mention of it because one of my favorite little details. When Frodo's getting ready to head out, he looks at himself in the mirror. And he oh, noticed yeah. that he's a little bit out of shape. And he's like, oh, you know, this three-day walk, you know, that'll get me back in. By the end of this thing, I'll be real skinny. And, like, I'll be real, I'll be in tip-top shape. And I'm like... <gasps> Ooh, okay all right, there, all right, bud. All right man <laughs> oh boy <laughs> he's like someone who wakes up and decides today i'm gonna hike the appalachian trail oh, um <laughs> which is which is not inaccurate to what he's gonna end up doing really especially with what all is about to go down like, yeah it's yeah. I, I read some like there was some information in a book that was released recently that gave us a better idea of like how long in miles the journey is from the shire to where they end up 
terminating this journey and it's some absurd like thousands of miles it's like some absurd number that they travel um by the way real quick the tap dancing you just did right there to get to that was amazing well done thank you sir um (laughs) so uh they're back on the road at this point which this and this is kind of how this chapter goes they're like on the road and tolkien talks about the landscape and frodo is wistful about leaving the shire and then um they stop and they eat and then they keep going and then they're going through woods and up hills and all this stuff. But at, at a certain point, Sam, good old Sam, perks up his ears because he hears a horse coming. So they're like on this like abandoned stretch of road. It's not used very often. They haven't run into anybody for like two days. And Frodo's like, all right, maybe we get off the road. And if it is Gandalf, we can jump out and surprise him since he was a jerk and didn't show up for my party. And but something about it is just making him uneasy. So they climb, they go off the road and they hide down in the grass. And what shows up is this was a life changing moment for me as a kid. This one because up until this point, I was like, the Hobbit was great. This book seems OK. It was like a lot of like, you know, I was pretty young reading this book and I was like, OK, there's a lot of nothing happening in this chapter. And then I was like, oh, that seems ungood because what shows up is a large man on a black horse robed in black so all you can see are his boots and his face is invisible under his hood it's the black riders baby they hear so let's describe this visual again real simply okay so you have this you have this powerful creature that is just all in black with very little face and is pure evil and like can change people's feelings and such around them. It's, I mean, I mean, what an original idea Tolkien had here, man. That is awesome. You're fishing on this one. I'm not. No, <laughs> no. Okay. I will say this. The movies are way guiltier of this than the books. Maybe. Sure. Sure. I mean, um, so speaking y'all, again, y'all I don't want to talk too much about the movies, but I will say that having re- reread this chapter, I think that they are more terrifying in the book than they are in the movies. And I would I would say the ring rates the or the well, I shouldn't even say the black riders in the movies <laughs> are pretty scary, right? Yeah. But these, they, the way he, they're described as riding like hunched over. This guy is hunched yeah. over in the saddle. His head is like swaying to and fro. When he gets off his horse, he's like creeping towards them and sniffing. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like, a, like a reanimated, like you ever see like a corpse in a movie or some sort of zombie character that can live and can move and can maybe do things but their body is just so damaged that mm-hmm. it just kind of messed up and ho- being held together in weird positions. Like you were designing like the contortions, right? Like yeah. it's doing that and the sniffing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and Frodo's the only one who actually gets a look at this thing because right. the rest of them are like face down in the grass. So he creeps up a little bit to see what's going on. And as this thing is sniffing and as it's getting near him, he feels this irrational urge to put on the ring and disappear. And he's getting like, the the addict brain lies like he's getting like you're still in the shire it's totally safe just put the ring on and this mm-hmm. thing won't see you and you'll be totally okay this is scary why don't you put the ring on right? right and he moves his hand towards his pocket he starts like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it but then he doesn't 
right? And for whatever reason, this thing decides, okay, there's nothing here. I'm going to move on, right? So whether that's because Frodo, if like Frodo resisting the call of the ring kind of breaks its attention or what it is. I, maybe it blocked a signal or something like that. Look, we're talking. One of the beauties of Tolkien's magic is it's a it, while it is got logic and there are rules and stuff like that. A lot of it is still kind of open ended and kind of like it's like there's a lot of ether going on here, you know, like and I prefer that this 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 writer in black leaves and they all come back on the road and they're like, what? What was that? And Frodo kind of describes it to them. And then Sam, of course, is like, oh, I know what that is, because he had talked to Gaffer about this thing that happened the day before or whenever that was. Right. Yep. Uh, didn't tell anyone about it. So good on Sam for hearing the horse come. But also, hey, man, like you're the only other person who actually knows what's going on here. Maybe it would have been a good idea for you to say something. Look, he's not the brightest bulb yet like he's got a lot of potential but sam doesn't take the initiative or maybe he doesn't feel like he's allowed to have a voice oh that's like, possible yeah that's like he doesn't know if he's allowed to like when you got pippin being a big jerk all the time yeah. and telling him to get water while he's still freaking sleeping oh uh, uh, never mind i'm no but it one. is it is true it may be that element of like sam is not a leader he's not an initiative taker so much no he's a he's kind of he's a dog's body like he's you know he's there to be the 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 pack mule for frodo um right and not so much be like the guy who's like i got the inside information and but let's go back to gaffer J- gamji real quick here because we get a little bit when when you really hear what he's how he's talking to this guy and like yeah. none of your business, you know, yeah. like that type of stuff. Gaffer Gamgee holds his own against this monster of a yeah. creature, yeah. right? Yeah. And kind of wins because he's yeah, Gaffer right. Gamgee. <laughs> yeah. Like respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, I I wonder if it, I I'm sure some of it is just the general like badassery of the gaffer, but also I wonder if some of it is this natural resilience that hobbits have to evil. Like they really have a strong resistance to that force. It it time and again between, you know, Bilbo's ability to let go of the ring, Frodo here mm-hmm. on his own. That's a Big yeah. level up for Frodo and Gaffer Gamgee. These are three hobbits who have come face to face with the greatest power of evil in this world. And they've they've done pretty OK, considering the circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think as we go on, it's definitely proving true, John, you're the connection. Now, which real well, we'll get into that in the appendices because I've got a question for there. So if you want to continue this conversation, yeah. follow me to the appendices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Um, they stay off the road at this point. They kind of follow the road, but stay off to the side where they can be in the trees. So like they're not spotted from far away, um, which is tough going because it's like kind of grass and humps and they're going through these like thickets of trees and stuff. But it's tough going. So I'm sure Pippin was right on board, John. Yeah, I'm sure he was a treat. Um, so they they get to the night and there's this really great moment that ties into some of what I want to talk about in the appendices as well, where they see the stars. And as the stars come out, it kind of eases their minds and the the evil that they encountered earlier in the day doesn't seem so present. Um and the stars are really significant in Lord of the Rings for reasons that um, we will talk about a little bit in the appendices uh, section. Yeah, stars. And, 
and for reasons that we'll see later on in this chapter as well. Yeah, yeah there's, but there, uh, but because of their importance, they are given time here, and we get to feel the weight of that mm-hmm. in the way the the poetry describes them, and it yeah. like again, you get you get such a clear image of these stars and this beautiful sky through this forest, and it's just. I want to go for a walk. I won't lie. Yeah. I want to go for a walk. I don't want it to be winter right now. I want it to be spring or summer. Yeah. I want to go for a walk in the woods and just look at the stars. Damn it. I'm a hobbit. Uh, I, we, we both are. I think we Yo, figured that out a long time ago. We just can't figure out who's Sam and who's Frodo. We keep flip-flopping this one. Because like, really, who we are is we're like Mary and Fatty. Like... <laughs> So they start to sing this song, which is like a hot, like, a, again, a hobbit habit. Right. Um, and they're making their way along. And then, of course, Pippin is that guy who, like, just has to end with the high harmony because he can. because He's like a he's a tenor or whatever. And he's <laughs> and he sings the last line really loud. And both like, dude, shut up, because they hear another set of hooves. You hear that big better tone energy John's got right there. <laughs> Listen. Listen. <laughs> no, I get. No, you're right. You're right. But I will say, hey, solidarity. Um, but um, no, and it's like so he make. Damn it, Pippin! <laughs> yeah, literally every time, every time Pippin is messing things up. So, and it's funny because it's like seeding so many things that are going to happen later on in the story in this chapter with this character. Tolkien um, knew what Pippin's role was the second he put him in the narrative. Yeah, like yeah, he's. Because Paragon Took, right? We we know his last name. We yeah. also know what the Took name means. Yeah. The, the Took name is the family besides the Baggins, and probably even yeah. bigger than the Baggins, because the old Took is the oldest living hobbit in right. Hobbiton and went on all these adventures, including their battles yeah. with the goblins. Yeah. Like Bull Roarer right, was like, a famous Took. Yeah. This is like some stupid Roosevelt that's still hanging around nowadays and is not nearly as cool as the other two. Right. Right. Oh, man. Like no, Steve no Roosevelt. The- <laughs> I'm Steve on, Roosevelt. Steve. The first. Okay. Yeah, and the last, too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they hear another rider coming, and they kind of, like, hunker down, and they see uh, uh, one of these either the same black rider or another, they're not sure, cross through an open space on foot, leading his horse in front of him, and then... Uh, he stops and he's like swaying back and forth and he's sniffing. And then this Mother Hubbard gets down on all fours and crawls in their direction, which I I was listening to this audiobook walking down a street in the middle of the day and had chills because I was like, I hate that. I hate that image. I hate that it's in my head. I hate that I'm going to be thinking about it when I go to bed tonight. I don't like it. It's full venom climbing up a wall or something, dude. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's unhuman. <laughs> well, right. And I think there's nothing because, like, these things have been described ostensibly as large humans with, like, boots and cloaks and hoods and riding on horses. And when a thing that is ostensibly human gets down and crawls and does something really animalistic like that, it's, uh, it's that uncanny valley thing where you're like, mm-hmm. I know what I'm looking at and I know that it's not right. That is not one of me. We humans don't do that anymore. What the yeah. hell is that crap? Yeah, it and triggers our like weird lizard monkey brain. To, it's like, in there, man. It's yeah. in there. I don't like it anymore because I could. I I would love a world where I could just see a man crawling down the street and say that's okay. Yeah, 
That would be interesting. Well, Frodo is like, oh no, this thing's crawling towards me. But then they hear other voices singing and whatever it is that's singing prompts this thing to get up, get back on its horse and ride away. Um, so he's leaving because uh, these singing voices are actually this uh, this nifty little deus ex machina that gets dropped of a group of elves that are hanging out through uh, the Shire. And Sam is on cloud nine. He loses his freaking mind. That freaking bag hat flies up in the air 10 feet because they turned the air conditioning on. Holy crap. Samwise Gamgee is only so many feet away from elves and they have to hold him back. Yeah. Because yeah. he's got to get to the Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's there. And Wolverine. All the elves. Um, so I want to address something here that's kind of going on in Tolkien Twitter right now. Uh, some guy uh, for writing for Medium wrote this genuinely like garbage article recently that was ragging on people for calling Tolkien and, and Lord of the Rings an ostensibly Christian inspired text, right? And I think anyone who knows literally anything about Tolkien knows that on multiple occasions, he has claimed that the root inspirations of the morality and the ideas in Lord of the Rings are rooted in his Catholic faith, right? So on the surface, it's a silly idea, but his argument essentially boiled down to like, it's a fantasy world full of wizards and elves and goblins. Jesus doesn't exist. And like, no one ever worships anything. So this isn't a Christian text. And I want to point out that in this, the elves are literally walking through the woods singing a worship song to Elbereth, one of their gods, right? Who is ostensibly connected to a figure that is obviously based on the god of Tolkien's religion, right? Elbereth is, and Gilthaniel is one of the names that they give to the, like one of the Valar. So it's literally the first time you ever see elves. The first thing they're doing is worshiping a god in this world. Right, and like, that's all you need to say. Argument stop right there, right? Yeah. Well, and, the, and and the thing is, like, I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, so the argument this guy's making, like, what, what clearly is happening is he likes Lord of the Rings and he is a kind of vocal atheist. So he is trying to justify his enjoyment of Lord of the Rings and his distaste for religion. And I get that. Like, I get it, right? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you have to read Lord of the Rings as a, like, a specifically religious text. But I think to write an article and be like, too bad, like Christian men who tend to like Lord of the Rings. This book is actually not for you. When the author like very clearly stated on multiple occasions that it was, is and and then he makes a really bad argument. It's not like he even makes a good faith argument. Look, I have heard some out there arguments, which I'm sure we'll get into on Lord of the Rings. And here's the thing: some stuff, while I totally, totally don't believe Tolkien intended it at all, is a valid read. Some yeah. really out there t takes. They're not even out there, just like there's some very interesting takes of the Lord of the Rings. And I am all here to discuss them and look at them. But when when Tolkien, raised by a priest, right? Yeah. Whose influence that... that who, like who, who, who turned from atheism to Christianity 
the biggest Christian apologist in the history of probably modern civilization. Right. Just like right. whose son was a monk. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. His son is definitely in the clergy. Like his son is definitely a member of the Catholic church, not Christopher, his other yeah. son. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I don't even, I wouldn't say that even that it's a Christian book. Right. I would say that the argument that you cannot read a commentary on Christian morality into the text Yes, is absurd. Right, is absurd. That's what I right? meant. And, I, yeah. and the people who say that there is not a a uh, display of religion anywhere in this text are literally just wrong because here it is right here. This is these are these are angelic creatures created. Yeah. The song they're singing is literally like them worshiping this figure and asking for her blessing and protection and like yearning for the day where they will go to be with her in what is ostensibly heaven. Right. Right. And when on top of that, like these are like immortal beings, right? This is a totally other thing we're dealing with here. And not that that's a qualifier for religion. I'm not saying that, but like these were created so eons ago, these creatures. Well, and the ones that we're talking about here. So to get I'm climbing off my soapbox now, by the way, don't go read this guy's article. Like, don't give him the clicks and the satisfaction, because literally he started to be criticized on all the things that he very obviously got wrong. And then instead of being like, oh, hey, maybe I misread this situation, like doubled down and wrote like a follow up that was like, wow, looks like I really triggered all the Christian readers of Tolkien. Because which is- no, nobody can lose an argument anymore. Yeah. You could only say your side is invalid because you're biased. Yeah. And I guess I said something that made everybody think something like, oh, ooh, you're yeah, look, hurt I because you. I brought ooh. the truth to you. Everybody can't be wrong anymore. And I'm freaking sick and tired of it. Yeah. That's my soapbox. How's everybody else? Yeah. Doing? We're wrong a lot on this podcast. I'm okay being wrong <laughs> because you know what wrong means? That I changed my mind. I'm capable of changing my dang mind. So these elves are uh, Frodo notes because they're singing this song to uh, Elbereth Gilthoniel, which is a name they have for one of the Valar. Um, and he recognizes by that fact that these are high elves. Yes. Okay, which, which is a term that we're going to see thrown around. So the high elves are not a different race of elves. This is not like Elder Scrolls where they're like a, a kind of different species or whatever. Uh, the high elves are the names for elves who um, traveled at some point to Amon which is and Valinor, which is the land where the Valar live, and then returned to Middle-earth. So they're kind of a, a uh, enlightened and powerful and fair um kind of clan or or uh uh people among the elves who exist in middle earth who have been in the presence of the valar and therefore have kind of like special i, I don't know i would say special powers but certainly like kind of a special position in the, the world at the very least and the most understandable they have a perspective and a a, a way of looking at things mm-hmm. that helps them interpret the world in a different way yeah. than mortals dwarves like yeah. they 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 just see the world differently and because of their journey they are perceived by everybody else differently yeah mm-hmm. they have the light and as we'll get into with what Tolkien talks about here it's beautiful 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit. Uh, our, our, I'm not going to like deep dive elves in general in our appendices section because that would literally be like describing four of the books Tolkien wrote or something like that. <laughs> but um, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what these elves in particular are doing here and why they're doing it um, in this journey. Because what they're what these elves are essentially doing is they're sort of... Uh, they describe it as tarrying, but they're they're hanging around in the Shire and journeying to and fro, waiting for their um, their time to travel to the sea and sail to uh, Amman, which is uh, kind of like a heaven analog, right? That exists in Middle Earth, right? It's an undying land where the elves go, where they can be with the Valar, who we've talked about. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. They, um, some people will heed the call to return and some people will not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll talk about all the reasons for that in the appendices, um, uh, just for the sake of not spoiling anything. But so, uh, these elves spot them, right? Even though they're hiding and a little bit has been made in this chapter of the fact that the hobbits are able to move pretty stealthily cloaked and trying to remain anonymous they pretty much go unseen Mm -hmm. even to other hobbits which i thought was an interesting detail because i feel like i always thought that the the whole like halflings are stealthy rogues thing in D &D was just because bilbo was a thief right or bilbo was like ostensibly a thief and so they were like oh yeah halflings are stealthy got it but it's actually like a, a a racial trait it seems like yeah they they, they get, avoiding the big folk is their number one survival technique yeah like, i had totally forgotten about that detail so it was, it was cool yeah. to kind of come across it yeah i mean look it's when you first hear it kind of in the hobbit because they mention it there if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. the, being able to avoid the big folk it's um if it sounds like a cool quirky thing but now as we're getting into this and we're really talking about the Perhaps the creation of the hobbits was there to counter what else was in the world, right? The darkness. Yeah. Like that's a tool trait that is very yeah. useful and will be very useful. And, as it, we and go it, on. it makes sense as an extension of this idea that they are meant to go kind of unregarded by the powerful people of the world, mm-hmm. that it literally extends so far as to the fact that if you aren't really looking for them, you might not even see that they're there. It's a shield. It's a, yeah. it's their shield. They, they, they are able to navigate and defend and do a lot of things because of this. Yeah. Um, so they kind of call them over and uh, they're, they're introduced to this guy, uh, Gildor in Glorian, who is, is kind of the leader of this uh, brigade, who is a character that we're going to encounter a couple of times in this series, once in this book and once uh, again in the last book. And he is going to have a little bit of an impact here that we'll see kind of coming up in the future. But yeah. Pretty um, cool, pretty cool name. Just, just want to oh, get yeah. it in there. But like, there is just this otherworldliness to it, mm-hmm. which is appropriate. The more you learn about where they have been, as yeah. we talked about, yeah. like, like these, these elves are blessed to the point where they're they are not carrying any lights, but there is just like a low latent starlight that seems to follow them where they walk, like a halo, like yeah, yeah. like angels, yeah. Um. So they they kind of fall in with these these elves. And at first, the elves like you get a little bit of that. Like, the, I feel like the elves in The Hobbit were really kind of like like snarky and and uh, uh, a, like kind of made fun of of the dwarves a little bit. And you get a little bit of that flavor here where they're like the hobbits are like, hey, can we like walk with you for a little bit? And they're like, what? Why would we walk with you? Hobbits right. are goofy. But but pretty quickly, you can't are... be friends with us. <laughs> The elf crowd, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, man. it's... Here's the thing about the elves, though. Like, Tolkien does a pretty good job quickly of, like, these are different elves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, again, by calling them the high elves, obviously, but and, yeah. of course, the light. But... I mean, these are the same elves that you would encounter in Rivendell because they say when Frodo asks, like Frodo's got some elf knowledge. So he sort of asks where they're from. And Gildor says, well, you might have encountered some of our our um, you might encounter some of our people in Rivendell. But there's also the ones of Mirkwood, mm-hmm. which we did encounter in The Hobbit, who are a bit more jerky and a yeah, bit more. Yeah. And they, they don't have they don't they're not the same type. And because of that, it really gives Frodo here like. This is the first time it's really put out like what these elves are, right? Yeah. Like, and really shown on display. So it's another feather for Frodo. Like, this is yeah. what he's seeing and part of his journey. This, you're getting a, it's similar mm-hmm. to Bilbo's journey, but you're starting to see a little bit more of the mecha- like the details of this world and starting to get a better sense of what's going on. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the elves are impressed because Frodo can speak uh their language. Yep. Um, so they're like, hey, watch what you say around this one. And they also seem to know who he is. So apparently these elves have seen him maybe when he was young, when Bilbo would like encounter elves and they may not have necessarily known. Frodo may have not have known they were around, which is an interesting detail. <laughs> well, look, Frodo, you know, was hanging out with Bilbo and apparently either Bilbo was going around the tree to hang out with an elf while Frodo was like playing like I <laughs> I know Frodo wasn't like two, but I'm just imagining like a two-year-old Frodo just chasing butterflies in the woods and be like, that's good. That's good. I just got to go uh, hang out behind this tree and smoke some pipe weed with these elves here. You know, like <laughs> the the vibe you get from these elves is kind of like 70s, like hippies just kind of bumming around California, like waiting to take off because they're not they're not like on their way to the Grey Havens right now. No, they're they're just sort of chilling in the woods, man. Like it's all good. We're just vibing with the stars, bro. Look, it's last call. <laughs> middle earth but we but 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 the ride's just sitting outside man so we just hang until we're ready to go dude like so i feel like peter jackson really missed an opportunity to make the elves like actually hippies like he got to the long hair and stuff and like they're all vegetarians and what but like he really missed the boat on making them like like real crunchy like a lot of dreadlocks like he could have done some interesting things sure (laughs) so (laughs) <laughs> Pippin is uh, once again like a, a lazy gluttonous douche because he eats until he falls asleep and then the elves have to like carry him and put him in a bed like the little pampered princess that he is and um, they had like Sam meanwhile to- curls up at Frodo's feet like a puppy dog to go to sleep because he refuses to to abandon his post like like a good little uh, uh, Batman that he is but well, look he 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 he's got a job he's got to be yeah. with Frodo and um, look I, I think it's awesome but going back to Pippin I I can't let this slide I got to talk about how lazy this guy is okay they walked a lot that day they walked yeah. over a lot of rough terrain. But Pippin is so weak <laughs> that he passes out as he walks and the elves have to nudge him up during yeah. the walk and like hold yeah. him through the journey. And I got to say, Pippin, you suck. He's not he's not he has not endeared himself so far. Um, I, I'm going to I will let you know, because I don't think he's endeared himself to me ever. 
Oh no, this is not your, if you're a Pippin stan, you're in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> if you're a Pippin stan, I want to know some things about you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got some questions about you and how's that treat, how's that being a Pippin stan treating you in life 2021, yeah. Yeah. 2022. Good God. Oh, listen, listen, he'll have his moments. It takes him a couple books to get there, but he has his moments. Um, I thought you were going to say he's he's going to get his Netflix series. It's going to be okay. The Adventures you- of Peregrine Took. Can you imagine? Um, oh, oh, I I can very much imagine some BS spin-off Hobbit oh, series. No, Pippin, a Lord of the Rings story. Like a prequel to the Lord of the Rings, him just hanging out in the Shire, you know, like, because we don't know what happens afterwards. But yeah. like, he, he's just like hanging out with all his buddies, like it's Entourage for <laughs> Hobbits. The Horn of Gondor. God, that's exactly what it would be, too. Yeah, it man. would literally be exactly that. Oh, it would Fatty be Hob. Bol- it, w- it would be Hobtourage. Frodo's uh, <laughs> G- uh, P- uh, Paul. Oh, not I was gonna say Paul Giamatti. Oh, uh, that's the episode title, isn't it? Yeah, Hobtourage for Hobbits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Entourage, but with Hobbits. Oh <laughs> no. Anyway, Pippin's asleep, and we don't have to talk about him anymore, and Sam falls asleep, and meanwhile, Frodo, because he's just the coolest, sits up and talks late with with Gildor. And I feel like this has got to be, like, how often is it that the hero on the hero's journey is the one who's staying up late having the important conversations about the happenings of the world, and not being the one who, like, falls asleep? Like, Pippin, I feel like, is is acting like he's the hero on the hero's journey and Frodo's like the old mentor character, but Frodo is our focal point. It's so interesting. Well, Trust Fund Pippin is um, just the worst. Sam's tired, probably. Like, Sam, we haven't talked about it. Sam's been carrying more than his fair share of stuff on this journey. Yeah, voluntarily. Yeah, and like, Frodo even joked about giving him more and Sam was ready to do it. Yeah. And then Frodo was like, dude, well, no, to Pippin's defense, I think Pippin was the one that was like, no, give it to Frodo. He could use the exercise. <laughs> like, no, but no, screw Pippin. Screw <laughs> Pippin. Because he didn't offer to take any from Sam. He's yeah. putting that on Frodo. Yeah. Um. So he I asked Gildor. <laughs> yeah, no. I thought I was going to rag on him a lot in this episode. No, um, I've, been, so, I've had 20 years of pent up hatred for this character. I'm letting it all out now so we can move on for the rest of this. No, it's, it's, it's good. Let's just detox. So yeah, I got to let it all out now because this guy sucks. So uh, Frodo. Frodo uh, asked Gildor like what he knows about these dark riders and and the the reason the elves even took them in was that Pippin opened his big fat mouth and was like hey what do you guys know about dark riders and they were like I'm sorry what you should come with us um so Gildor's basically like he's really cagey about it he's like so Gandalf didn't tell you and Frodo's like no I haven't seen Gandalf in like a while and Gildor's like I'm sorry you haven't seen Gandalf in a while so Gildor's very concerned and he's basically like listen don't don't you don't need to know anything man like you don't want those bad vibes just is it not enough to know that they are working for sauron like is that not enough for you like don't make me tell you what that actually is yeah frodo's like so what's this evil that's following me like like what is i need to know exactly and and again you're right like he's just like dude you don't want to know anything about that because the next step is this elf is going to give you the Jaws monologue, okay? Yeah. 
But when those black riders bite in and those eyes roll over in those empty heads of theirs. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, that's what, like, that's the next step. And yeah. you know the elves are ready to do for it. Well, I wonder, too. They're I was DTM, trying... down to monologue, man. They are all in. I feel like Gandalf has been cagey about this. Now Gildor's being cagey about this. And I am wondering if they are trying to not let Frodo if they're trying to avoid Frodo being so afraid of the Nazgul that it's easier for him to succumb to their ability to tempt him to put on the ring. I think, I mean, yeah, that. I also think with the fact that that's what he could become. Yes. And like, dude, that's another thing that you don't want to put on him right now. Like, worst case scenario, this is one of your possibilities here. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. Which, by the way, I've always visualized a tiny little, you know. I yeah, mean, oh, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. It's like we all get that visual, little shrimpy right? three foot uh, yeah. ring race. Yeah. But that so, ain't going to happen to Frodo. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so Gildor's basically like, you know, well, if we run into Gandalf, like we'll talk to him. You know, he, he's he tries to to leave Frodo with like a little bit of hope in the situation, but is also like you want to avoid them, but follow through with your plan because Frodo's like, I'm I'm literally leaving to go to Buckland and there's already more than one of these things around. Like what my whole plan is shot because the whole point of this plan was I was going to get out of the Shire and now they're following me to Buckland because right. Gaffer Gamgee opened his big fat mouth and told them about it. Look, Gaffer did all he could in that situation. Yeah. I'm going to talk about somebody who didn't do all they could do in one moment, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and at that point, you know, they have this conversation, and the chapter ends as Frodo drifts off to sleep. Hey, elves, why don't you chaperone with the freaking Hobbit? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, just like, you're doing well, the, nothing part except of for waiting is- to leave. Part of it is also that they the elves don't know the elves know who Frodo is and they know that he is of interest to the enemy, but they don't know the specifics. And I do think that part of it is like Frodo can't tell them why he's doing what he's doing and why he's being followed because elves are not immune to the temptations of the ring. That's fair. And I get that. So like having too many people around you is a concern. And mm-hmm. I totally understand that. But these elves man it takes a lot to get them off their ass like like i'm just saying like that's one of my running problems with the elves they're they're waiting they're waiting till the last minute to do anything but maybe there's a reason maybe there's a rhyme yeah maybe it's the end of the chapter time i don't know yeah well we'll talk about a little bit in the appendices so uh Hang around through this break. Uh, We're going to do a quick uh, little promo swap with one of our fellow indie podcasters. And when we come back, spoiler lights on because we're going to jump into the appendices. So stick around. Hey, listeners, it's Duncan from GDT Podcast here to tell you about our show. On GDT Podcast, it's always a good day to talk about movies. Hosted by Gardner, Duncan, and Tarin, we discuss movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Join us for in-depth interviews with your favorite independent filmmakers, like Jim Burkett, creator of Coherence, Greg Sestero from The Room, and many, many more. If you're interested in independent movies or want to make your own film, this is the podcast for you. Check out our show anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching the letters G, D, T, 
and follow us on Twitter at GoodDataPod. company too <laughs> yeah i'm sorry look i don't like pippin like i just gotta be honest about it like it's not like it's not anything you know like except for based on fact <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he's necessarily written to be the most likable character no and i think and it's by design and you need those characters in there to make the other characters look cooler but he screws up so much and maybe we'll talk about some of it more because now the spoiler light is on. Welcome to the appendices. This is your first episode. The appendices is the section of the show where instead of just talking about the chapter that we read, we're actually going to uh, dig into a topic from that chapter, explore it a little bit more, explain it as we understand it. Um, the nature of this thing is we're looking at, you know, Tolkien's other texts like the Silmarillion and uh, that obviously it's a big one. And, you know, the... Uh, uh, unfinished tales and that sort of thing to get a more complete picture. It will involve some things that are going to stray into spoiler territory. So at this point, if you are reading the book for the first time and you are concerned about spoilers, you are welcome to turn the podcast off. We do not care about that drop off. Um, we'll see you in the next episode. For those of you who are sticking around, we are going to talk about Valinor and what the heck these elves are doing in the woods of the Shire. Yeah, this is, this is one of the, I mean, it's it's an ever happening thing in Middle Earth. Like it's mm -hmm. never not happening in the Third Age from yeah. from the end of the, the War of the Last Alliance. Like till now, this has just been happening at a drip and a drab. But the elves are leaving and now it's happening more, though. And I would argue, like going back to our conversation about um, the the sort of theology of lord of the rings yeah. that it is one of the most kind of christianity adjacent elements of the text because what is happening is it is a it is a group that has rebelled mm -hmm. and been and kind of been like not cast out but who have cast themselves out of eden right. being finally allowed to return back to paradise like that's explicitly what's happening here which is the like one of the core elements of christian theology so um, the elves in Middle Earth are are one of the two groups that make up what's called the children of Iluvatar. They are the firstborn, the elves. Men are the secondborn, right? The ones who come after. Um, and the elves were especially of interest to the Valar, right? Mm -hmm. Iluvatar sent the Valar down um, into into Ea. And said, okay, you're going to make this world Arda and you're going to prepare it for the coming of these children. And your purpose is to make them a world and then to provide them guidance when they get here. And the Valar don't know exactly when that's going to happen. They have like ideas, right, of when it's supposed to happen. And they know that it's supposed to happen during the time of darkness. So after, um, you know, one of these periods in which Melkor, Morgoth destroyed the lights of Middle Earth. 
the yeah the tr- um so this was the lamps after he destroyed the lamps right right i'm sorry the lamps I'm, yeah I, I almost said the trees that's that's yet to come varda who is one of the the kind of ladies of of the valar she's one of the the female identifying valar um mm-hmm. She's the Star Queen, the Queen of the Valar. She's the wife of Manwe, who's like the the Lord of the Valar, the guy who's in charge of the whole scene, who sits on Tani Quetzal looking out of the, over the world and making all the important decisions. But um, she knows that the that these elves are going to be born into the world in this time of darkness. Right. And they've been fighting this war with Morgoth and like they made the world and then he destroyed the world and then uh, they made it again and put these lamps up and then he broke the lamps and the world has been reshaped and reformed a couple times. And um, so she is like, okay, I'm going to show him. Right. Cause they're really concerned that like Morgoth is still out moving and shaking, like making trouble. And these elves are going to show up any day. Right what's going to happen to them. So she puts a whole bunch of new stars up in the sky um, and all these like constellations and things. And my favorite one is the sickle of the Valar, which is like these seven stars that are both basically supposed to be taunting Melkor because they represent the Valar. Yeah. Um, Which is great. I mean, a plus (laughs) trolling, right? (laughs) And it is, is an art form. Yeah. And it's under these stars as these stars rise that the elves awake. Right. So they're they're either it's unclear that if they're sleeping underground or just if they are sleeping out in the world somewhere waiting to wake up. But they wake up by this lake called Quivienen, which is in a part of the world that is no longer accessible because of one of Morgoth's things. Morgoth, just whenever you get to a point in the deep history of Middle Earth and something like, and why is that thing no longer a thing? Morgoth. Morgoth. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the first thing they see is the stars. So this this is when I was talking about stars early in the chapter, stars are the first thing that living beings on Middle Earth ever saw. Right. The elves. And I think that because of that, they obviously have a special significance to the elves, but also the other races of Middle Earth, like we see with the hobbits, are also have this like intimate connection to the stars. The stars ease their fears because the stars were put there by the Valar as like a sign of their omnipotence and their protection. And this is something that is going to keep coming up in this story in very yeah. key moments too. Yeah. Um, which is great. And it's really like a beautiful kind of image. Um, well, it's, it's, it's light as hope, man. Like it's just, it's, it's what it is. And I mean, go even a great Gatsby, you know, mm-hmm. like the green light. I mean, that's a simple, the simple comparison and it's a different type of, it's a false star, but yeah, well, I'm not going to get I'm not going to deep dive Great Gatsby. Yeah, right yeah. welcome to Gatsby cast where we read Great Gatsby <laughs> one chapter at a time. Uh, so what do those eyes mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting, like the Valar don't know where the elves are, which I always find really fascinating. I was I was listening to that chapter of Silmarillion again today where they first show up and they're like the Valar are like real excited to meet the elves they're like i just i literally like literally dwarves exist because Owlay was so impatient to meet elves that he tried to make his own version of elves you want to see the baby oh my god (laughs) i mean that's what it's got new kid baby energy all over this situation yeah like where where is it where oh elves yes totally so what ends up happening and i'm like this is chapters and chapters of the Silmarillion, but this is this is 
dense. <laughs> yeah. What ends up happening is eventually, I think it's Orome, who's like the hunter, goes out and he's one of the few Velar who like really traipses out into Middle Earth from Amon, which is the the continent where the the kingdom of the Valar is. So Valinor is a kingdom in Amon, which is yes. west across the sea. For you yes. ge- geography nerds. I'm, tr- so, I'm trying to trying to pull back from the deep dive in the memory here, John. There's oh, a lot yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah. I got you covered. Don't worry. Okay. So And uh, look, over time, what happens is like the elves directly interact with the Valar a lot Um, and and the Valar are like, listen, we have made you this home that is safe from Morgoth in in Amon, this land of Valinor, and you are welcome to come here. Right. And they're and, you know, in the process of this, they they create the two trees, which are like the second light source of Middle Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the elves do go there. And now you have certain groups of elves who don't travel with them to Amon, right? There are some who are like a little bit untrustworthy because Morgoth like put into their dreams this this subtle fear of the Valar, right? So there are elves who stay behind in Middle Earth and never travel to Valinor, right? right. And those are so that's the distinction between like high elves and um and I, I, I don't know if they call them low elves. I'm sure it'll come up somewhere in the text. The, the, there's there's some sort of different name for them. It's yeah. like like not wood elves, right? They don't use no. that term there. No. That's a more that's a more regional Middle Earth term. Like yeah, based, yeah. But like that seems to be the elves who live in Merkwood, right? Like there are many different, not many different types. I mean, there's low and high, I guess is what we're saying here. But yeah. even in the low or like the different types that are on Middle Earth, there's different groups and different tribes and different mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. T- like ranks and such. So like they got a whole thing going on these yeah. elves. And at this point, the Earth is like a flat plane, right? It's a circle, and to get to to get to Amon and Valinor, you just sail across the sea, right? Numenor doesn't exist yet. There yeah. are no men in the world. Um, and some of the elves have already been rounded up by Morgoth and taken into Utumno, right? His secret fortress where horrible bad things are happening. And they will become the the progenitors of the orcs. Yeah, because Morgoth, Melkor, he cannot create. He can only corrupt. So he takes the elves and he these beautiful creatures and turns them into these these demons these devils which again is very similar to the fallen angels yeah, yeah. in in the war between lucifer and god so like it's and there's all kinds of that's uh, when we talk about orcs and deep dive that there's all kinds of hinky stuff going on because like the movies try to like plaster over i think like what it looks like to create orcs and it's just like oh we'll, we'll just pull them out of this mud and we won't talk about it but like tolkien very explicitly in different letters has said i imagine that orcs reproduce in much the same way that every other species does and yep. then he also implied that it is possible that morgoth did like unnatural things like breeding elves with beasts and stuff like there's all like he had some real weird stuff going on for how the orcs came about it's some bad stuff there like yeah. it's like again eugenics like that was in the that was in the mindset that was a huge part of a lot of people's like that was just being put to bed because it was this is post like he was writing at the beginning of this right before world war two and right afterwards but like by the end of world war two eugenic ideas were really on the way out so yeah. like this is a nice commentary i mean but also deep, you but have like you have like the mangala the like nazi kind of 
scientific experiments on well, that's an you know, human bodies. Like that's a part of it too, because that 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 was the next God freaking Nazis. <laughs> like that was that they saw that as the next step, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's man, we can't yeah. have nice things in this freaking world. Yeah, and apparently yeah. not even in Middle Earth. Well, not even yeah, Middle Earth. Yeah, let's let's talk about some nice things. So the 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 undying lands of Amon. So Amon is is distinct from Middle Earth in that it is it is where the 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 Valar live. It is an undying land. It's a land of like peace and harmony. It is also where the spirits of the dead go. So elves and men who die end up in the halls of of Mandos, who is one of these is one of the Valar, and he's like. Um, he keeps kind of the souls of the dead, but he also has like uh, secret information about like the future. Um, he's the doomsman and the judge of the dead. It's a very interesting afterlife scenario they kind of set up here. Yeah, yeah. It also seems like when elves die, their spirits go to to the halls of Mandos and then can be resurrected. Um, so we'll see that happen with a character coming up who the, the hobbits are going to meet later on in the book. Um, yeah. And, so, and, and, and but those men that don't. Be- so there's a difference like men's spirits. Something else happens to them. Yes. But like those who could return if they, they, there is room for them, to, like if they need to return if yeah. they if their part in the song is not done, they can come back. Right. So. um these elves who go to to Valinor are like they are, I feel like if I recall correctly, the Silmarillion doesn't deal very much with the elves that kind of remain behind. It does to a certain extent, but and I could be very wrong about that. But the early chapters really are focused on these elves um, that come to Valinor. So in Valinor, you have two different houses of the elves or tribes of elves. You have the Vanyar, who are uh, like the fair elves or light elves, and you have the Noldor, who are like the craftsmen, right? The ones who are good at building things. And the Van- the Vanyar stay in Valinor. Right. Right. They don't come back to Middle-earth. No. The Noldor, however, this gets into like the kind of core narrative of the Silmarillion, which is um, a guy I've mentioned before in these chapters, Feanor, who created the Silmarils. Yeah. Right. And who is, I mean, in many respects, indirectly responsible for the creation of the rings of power through his through his descendants. And also possibly some connection back to the Silmarils and the trees. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll see. um, Significantly, right. Galadriel is one of these characters, but um, after. After Melkor steals the Silmarils and kills Feanor's father, he and and some of the other elves, basically the Noldor specifically, rebel and choose to sail back to Middle Earth to go after Melkor. And they're told, like, don't do this. And then there's like an incident where they like kill a bunch of their their fellow elves to steal some boats. The kinslaying. The kinslaying. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. that look, I'm gonna be straight up with you, friends. A lot of this Silmarillion, it's in there, but it don't come out because it's deep. The kinslaying, that one was like, yeah. it's it's a because it's like a kill and escape, right? That's how they get mm-hmm. out of there. Yeah, like that's mess. 
this is why I hate elves a little bit. Like I'm just like they kind of suck sometimes. <laughs> well, and I think that they're 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 no better than humans. They no, just true. they just pretend to be. <laughs> That's why I don't like. <laughs> they're acting like they're hotty toddy, but they're not. Um. So I, I I some people might argue with me, but I I believe that this rebellion of the Noldor and them returning to Middle Earth to reclaim what was theirs and defy the Valar, right? And and go into exile, essentially, from, from Amon is, is the Tolkien mythology version of original sin. Like, this is the elves in their will and their desire to be in control of their own lives and their own destiny, defying the gods and and being unable to return like they they come back and in the midst of it they like you know there is another Cain and Abel with the kin slaying there's these right. sins that they commit and it, 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 and and again as they head off into it's they feel like that they're doing the right thing why is it wrong it's our it this is our land we were kicked out of it it's it's, it's what we should take back it's this that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's another serpent there. And that is what getting them to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and it's interesting because what like the the Valar just want them back. Like the what the Valar want is for the elves to be in Valinor and for things to be the way that they were. Because the elves had like cities in Valinor there. They had whole civilizations there. Mm. And. You, but they're fallen. There's this like kind of fallen group of elves who have the light of Valinor, but they are they are stuck in the you know dying lands of Middle Earth. You can go to a local college. I'm just saying, like you don't have to go to NYC. Like you know, like you know, like that's just I'm I'm just saying. Yeah, you can save a lot of money at, at uh, community. You know, do your gen eds. <laughs> I mean, they've they they have an amazing department if you want to become a mortician i'm just saying <laughs> i know i know you want to get into crafting palantirs and jewelry but listen listen there's nothing wrong with the trade school anyway so look i know there's a lot of adventure over there in california what with the morgoth and everything but you gotta stay here yeah yeah do you know what it costs to live over there anyway um <laughs> So this is like the big movement. Nice. And what You're going to leave the house after you kill your brother. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so this is in, this is the tail end of the year of the trees. Um, because part of what, part of what kind of precedes this is Morgoth and Ungoliant killing the two trees. Nice. Right. Which were the replacement of the lamp. So it's dark again. And the, the Noldor, <laughs> the, the, like the, the Noldor are rebelling and everything's bad. Galadriel is one of these characters. And Galadriel, we're not going to go into it right now, but her and her want to return is going to be something of note. I'm just saying, like, yeah, we, yeah, th that, that's actually going to play out a lot. I mean, techni technically speaking, the spoiler light is off, so we can say, like, okay, Galadriel is a character who I think, again, when we're talking about this Christian idea of, like, we are living in a fallen world, but we are called to to return to like a union with God. Right. Right. Which is the core of like Christian faith is 
Galadriel is going to face a temptation, right? She at, at one point in the text is going to be offered the ring and in denying that temptation is finally going to be allowed to return. Like the sin of her rebellion is going to finally be paid for. And I guess that's what these elves, like these elves that we see. So they're high elves because they were in they they or their, their ancestors came from Middle-earth to Valinor and then left Valinor in this rebellion and now are just bumming around Middle-earth waiting to be called back, right? Waiting right. for their time to go. And that's what's happening in this third age. The elves are like, the call is on. Right. Evil is spreading in Middle-earth and the Valar are like, it's, you gotta go. It's time for men to take over and right. deal with the situation. And they're thinking they've got no shot. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, they've, they've, and they've got no, they feel like they can't, those that are going to hear the call and go back, they feel like middle Earth is doomed. Like there's, there is very, and that's what Sam was getting into in the last chapter. Like he, the only hope he sees is in these. And how could you not? If really like middle earth is a magical place, but like the elves are something else. Yeah. Right. They're not like dwarves. Dwarves hobbits can handle and understand they they may talk about them at the green dragon from time to time but like they can get a dwarf they understand dwarf men they might not like but they understand them elves as we've just talked about are something very different and if they're leaving sam's almost i think feels like the magic is leaving a middle earth right if mm-hmm. i haven't said that already and, and it's sort of in implication because the valar have already taken their hands off like after the fall of Numenor the Valar were like we no longer rule Middle Earth we'll intercede in situations but you are not under our governance anymore like we are backing off the the moments that happened like Bilbo and Smeagol exchanging the ring right Mm -hmm. or some little farmer Gamgee holding the line yeah I mean, things that are going to happen. And again, it's also possible that like some of this is just hobbits were created to be the final thing that stands against this darkness, which I think I'm planting my flag in is like my theory that Iluvatar planned for the hobbits to be there as the ultimate antithesis to the evil of Morgoth. I I don't disagree with it. I mean, whether or not that is the canon explanation is definitely what Tolkien intended for them to represent. Right. Yeah. So like, they're clearly like, look at who can, if you just have a little grit and walk a little feet, you're, yeah. you're going to be able to, and have some wits there. You're going to be able to defeat evil. Right. Yeah. Which he um, saw, like he watched these simple country boys, right. Stand in the face of unbelievable, mindless death and destruction and evil. And some of them lived to tell the tale and some of them gave their lives in that pointless war twice. Yeah. Twice in his life. He saw the underdog underdog in world war one. I'm not saying any side was the underdog there. Every, but well, there eventually there was the supply chain. I'm not getting into that, but, but like, the underdog being these kids who were the, roped the kid, into this right, war right. that like They're people there. way above their station were f- waging for stupid reasons. They made it out of that alive. That's yeah. the victory there, right? And then when you get to World War II, you have Sauron or Melkor in yeah. the embodiment of fascism represented all across Europe and the world, right? And so, like, he sees he sees a situation that people can survive through in World War One, and then he sees an idea that needs to be defeated, defeated by an underdog. And, like, he's yeah. able to – and, like, how could he not, like – 
that's what the answer is. And yeah, and maybe that is just the answer. Good yeah. people doing what they need to do with the time that is fucking given to them. Yeah. <laughs> um. So here's a fun fact uh, that I learned today about Aman. And I was trying to figure out because so we know that the nature of the world changed after um, Sauron tried to get the Numenorians mm-hmm. to attack Aman. He tried to get them to sail into Valinor and claim it. And it was the one time in the world where Iluvatar himself came down and said, no. <laughs> and he toppled a mountain on top of uh, the, the king of Numenor yep. and all of his armies. And he sank Numenor under the ocean and he reshaped the world from flat to round. And he removed Amon from the world. So Amon exists floating out somewhere and there's an invisible bridge in the ocean that one can sail if you know the place to go that will carry you to Amon. So freaking awesome. It's It's very cool. It actually made more sense. I was like, so he just moved it to the other side of the world? Like, I don't understand how that works. I mean, no, it's like... (laughs) What is kind of awesome, but also kind of silly, is when you see these like illustrated maps of how it works a little bit. Like, and kudos to the people who got to make this literal what he's describing here, right? But like, yeah, it's not. It's a little silly looking, but at the same time, it makes a lot of sense if you're just like, okay, we're just gonna make this a big ball, and yeah. now nobody can sail off of it, and just gonna put you right over here, and everything is good yeah. and third age go <laughs> yeah and I, I don't know if i just never like that i didn't register for me that that when he it says he removed Amon from the world that it's not just like some ephemeral like you just can't sail there for reason it's literally like you know it's out there it's right up there you just can't go there you're not he just, allowed <laughs> he, and going back to the fall of numenor again because it that's just going to keep coming up just well be it's, ready. it's central to what is happening in lord of the rings another thing to go back to like the connections to religion here. That's two things right there. That's the fall of Atlantis, which we've already talked about, but that's also the 40 day. That's the flood. Like that is, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is the God made the world look down. Oh, that ain't right. And then hit the reset button. And, and, and a few faithful survivors, right? And 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 Sam and Gamora as well. Like I think I mentioned that as last time. So they're there. Yeah, there's so many illusions. It's ridiculous. You literally read the first chapter of the Silmarillion and then like read Paradise Lost, which isn't the Bible, but like is a fictionalized account of stuff. It, like it's it's so obvious the influences and and then so many figures in this are like are analogs for a Jesus character. Aragorn is like a Christ analog. Yeah. Frodo is a Christ analog. Gandalf is a Christ analog. Like, well, there's a lot the of Christ to go around, right? but it is. Um, it, but there's also these different like redemption. The, mm-hmm. That's and I, that's why you're saying that. Like, there's a lot of just Christ like redemption in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so everybody goes from it, in, including spoilers, even Gollum, you know, yeah. like yeah. it's this beautiful it's one of the major themes throughout the whole story. Like, yeah. it's, it's, man, I just, you can make your arguments, but that one, I could take the first chapter, kind of like we were saying, of the Cimmerillion, go to a different time in history, like if I had a time machine, I just screw some people and say, this is the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I got enough dogma there to back it up a little bit. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. 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 So, I mean, what's basically happening at this point. It, uh, so I'm unclear on if the elves are intentionally like, OK, now's the time we're going to go because things look pretty bleak. Or if that's just the outside perception. And in reality, the elves are finally hearing like this call. Like, It is time for us to go home because well, I do think there is an element of that to it as well. I think it's upticking. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, and it just, it's ramping up as it's rolling downhill and it's, there's a little bit of elves moving at the beginning of the third age, probably just a few that are like, dude, I just got my butt kicked in the last battle of the black gates. I got to get out of here and go home and rest up. But as it gets closer and closer to the end of the third age, it's just a natural part of what has to happen. And maybe they don't even know it, or maybe they just see the turning of the tide. And yeah. get a little scared and get the like, the, uh, maybe we should be heading out now. Like, I think I there's do probably think a there, bit of both. Yeah. I mean, there is like a there is a um, there is a timing to these things outside of even like the knowledge of the Valar. Yeah. Right. So there's stuff that even the Valar don't know and fully understand about like the master plan of this whole thing. Right. So I do also get the perception that like the way that elves are the firstborn and men are orchestrated to be like the followers, like that the war of the ring represents a passing of the guard to men mm-hmm. with the rise. Cause we're going to see, you know, King Elisar rise and kind of finally overcome like the human civilizations that were corrupted by Morgoth. He's finally going to unite like the kingdoms of the West and stuff. So there is this, like it is time for men to finally overcome this great evil and move the world forward. But and for s- that to happen, the elves have to be out of the way. The elves have to be out of the way, but also the elves, they didn't finish the damn job, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so while they are, it's proving in that situation. And there's a really great series, um, extra sci-fi. They cover mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings on that, where they talk about the fact like, you're right john there is this passing of the guard and this like you've got to step up but it's like we've got to step up even more so because you didn't get it done and this idea of this grander age is kind of proven false a little bit in some respects because look from the kinsling to the fall of numenor and all these other little details in there it was not like they're not they might be called highborn elves but they've been in the mud a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Numenor was mostly men. But like, either way. No, I'm, I'm like, just thinking about middle. Yeah. That's everybody passing the torch from the previous generation. Like, Numenor is like, for men, mm-hmm. he's like the elves for elves. Well, something they talk about in the Silmarillion, too, that I think is interesting is um, that elves are immortal like elves remain youthful and vibrant forever they don't die of old age or disease they can be killed in battle but that's it and meanwhile men live these short brutal lives that are hard and full of care and that no one's sure why right why it is that men have that fate where elves have this like kind of higher calling and i think there may be like because the lives of men are so short, they are given more value and men fight harder than elves to preserve something for their for their progeny. Because the elves, it's like, yeah, I've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, 
things come and things go and we don't have to worry about it man time is a flat circle and we're all like it's the hippie elves versus like the the mildly middle class conservative men <laughs> look john we just talked about sus readings here no, i'm kidding. Like, yeah, no, yeah, I- yeah. Well, um, that's all I got for the appendices, James. I don't know. what, what Do you have anything on your mind before we wrap up? No, just to go back a little bit to the previous chapter. And uh, as we go through mid, uh, the Shire there and everything, uh, the land around as we walk through it, I just, you mentioned in the previous, like, we know the most, I think, about the Shire in like all the different locations. And we know a lot about middle earth, but like mm-hmm. that's the most detailed section of it. And even still, there's all that mystery going on. Yeah. You know? And I just, I think as we go through these appendices, as, as we talk about all these different things about the lore, right. And we bring it up. Tolkien, Tolkien was wise enough to leave all that detail more towards the appendices, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the mystery as a first-time reader is what you really need. You really yeah. need that. And I think that's why, again, another another brick in the argument that this is one of the best books ever written. He knew how to structure it. He knew where to put the information where it needed to be, but he knew when to leave you a little bit in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, we'll we'll be leaving you all in the dark until our next chapter. But I do have some words from the fellowship this week. Um, so so full disclosure, this comes from a personal friend of mine, my buddy Jake, who um, listens to the podcast. But he uh, posted. Hey, yeah, um, he posted about us on his LinkedIn. Oh. Um, so he, he posted like a I, I don't know, I, I don't use my LinkedIn anymore because it's silly and dumb, but and I'm not in a field that requires it. LinkedIn, so, is that the new version of Link? Lord. (laughs) Um, That's a good joke on like five levels. (laughs) (laughs) At least two. At least two. Um, Well, so he posted a link just like, hey, if anyone's traveling, give this a listen. And apparently this guy that he had like a job interview with uh, messaged him because he looked over his LinkedIn profile and saw that link and listened to the episode and got super excited and then like shared it with his son. Wow. What a story. Yeah, yeah it's fun. So it's well, it's good to know that our this is reaching beyond the bounds of our own social circles. I good guess. to know we're reaching the kids and the youth out there of America. Okay, so we need to, you know, all right. Well, this guy's son could be like 45 years old. Like, who knows? But Hey, 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 it's a son. At least that's someone younger than who you was. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just saying, let's keep it a little PG-13 around here. Jimmy. Yeah. Well, and also <laughs> nice nice to know that, um, nice to know that people are listening in and getting excited. If you have uh, thoughts about the chapters that we read, um, either upcoming or ones that we've already talked about, yeah. uh, please feel free to send us an email at uh, frodolivespod at gmail.com or you can message us at... Um, uh, Frodo lives pod on Twitter and we are happy to kind of share some information that way. Yeah. If you want to read, sorry, if you want to talk about like a chapter from like the third book or the fourth book or something like that, email us with the chapter name in it. And we'll just, I think we just stockpile those until we get to it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like, like, and I think that's what, like that way, when we get to that episode, we could be like, Oh, we got like five on like, we're in the we're in the appendices. Helm's deep. Everyone loves Helm's deep, right? Like yeah. John is shaking his head in disapproval of the overhyped Helm's deep. 
Um, yeah, but but feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to hear from the fellowship. Um, you can uh, obviously subscribe to us most places where you can find podcasts. Rate us on Spotify. Rate us on iTunes. Um, James, what can they do if they want to uh, support us? They can leave a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review. It really helps us out. It's it. Look, I wish it was seven stars. That would be cool. So if you want to vote for us five times and then. I, no, don't vote for us like five times and then two times to equal seven. That would be bad. But, you know, then we know at least you're listening. I'm kidding. Leave a five star review. Help us out there, friends. It's just part of this whole podcast game. Yeah, if you feel if you feel really moved, like you can rate us five stars now on Spotify. On we're on Amazon, we're on iTunes. It it teaches the algorithm what people are listening to, and if you're listening to us, we'd appreciate it. Um, it honestly, true. And if you're an indie podcast who wants to do a promo swap uh, between our our segments, reach out to us as well. I'm always looking for new um, promos to drop. We got a couple coming up, and then I got a lot of open slots. So um, reach out to us. We got we 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 have microphones clearly. We can record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got you. We got you. Um, that's all I've got. James, what are we reading next week? We are reading The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Book One, Chapter Four, A Shortcut to Mushrooms. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Very Hobbit sounding title very very hobbity title um yeah and that does it for us here until uh we read uh our chapter for next week so goodbye our dear listeners until our next meeting the road goes ever on